Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm Augusto Pinaud. I'm Francis Wade. And we are back this week to talk about a topic that we have been really excited about, or I've been really excited about talking about, which is uh, the idea of excuses. Uh, So many times we ourselves experience the idea of making excuses for getting things done, and we hear excuses from others uh, about what they should have, would have, could have done and didn't. And so I know that Augusto, Francis, and myself, we hear this quite often in our world of of dealing with people in their productive lives. And so we've heard a lot of excuses. That's that's all we're going to say there. And so what I, what we wanted to do in this episode was to talk about the idea of what is the difference between excuses and reasons for not getting what you said you were going to get done done. And then talking about some of the excuses we we do internally, that is the excuses that we give ourselves when we are not getting things done and how to overcome those, hopefully, a couple of tips on how to do that. And then how to deal with excuses from others, whether they be at home or in the workplace, how do we respond to excuses so that we can all be more productive along any project path, whether or goal that we might have. So let's get started with the idea that there is a difference between reason and and an excuse. I'm going to start off with an an interesting uh, gentleman. Uh, He wrote a Medium article called The Difference Between a Reason and an Excuse Because the World Does Not Need Another Thumbsucker by Gary Ryan Blaine. And I'm not going to fully read all of these, but the, the, the gist of it is actually encapsulated in the quotation that he starts with, and uh, it's by Mark Twain. And it, and it says, quote, there are a thousand excuses for every failure, but never a good reason, end quote. In, in Blaine's definition here, he basically says that the, the difference he believes between a reason and an excuse is that a reason takes accountability for one's actions, whereas an excuse is an attempt to Uh, diffuse or deflect that blame, that accountability, that responsibility from the thing that you didn't get done. And he uses an an interesting uh, health-related example here. And he says, quote, a reason for not going for a run is I have a broken leg. An excuse is I don't have the time. And I'm, I'm curious from you, gentlemen, do you agree with Gary Ryan Blaine's perspective of uh, excuses being a personality defect, uh, character flaw, or um, is it is an excuse something else? To be honest, I think reasons are what I give and excuses are what other people give. <laughs> <laughs> In other words. <laughs> fair, fair enough, fair when enough. When I say it, it's a reason. When you say it, it's an excuse. But, you know, it's a, it, if I just look at what happens in my life, though, if I take a, a, level, a, a look deeper and I get suspicious about my motives, I could see that th- th- this is somewhat true because when someone shifts from 
giving reasons, and I've worked with people, and I'm sure everyone has, where there's, there's some point at which they go from being on the team, on the same side, trying to accomplish a goal. They are hell-bent on achieving it. Nothing can stop them. And when there's hiccups along the way, they give reasons. And then something happens and it shifts. And all of a sudden, they go into giving excuses. It's, it's as if the tone of their, uh, their mental model has changed. So they go from being someone who was on our side trying to make it happen to arguing why it can't happen, uh, arguing why they're not at fault, and why they can't be counted on. So it's a, it, it can even happen with the same person on the same project. It's just a subtle, you can't, you can't quite put your finger on it usually, but what you know in your gut, if you've had enough, had, had enough experience, is that they're now lost to you. And as they move into the world of deeper and deeper excuses, trying to bring them back into the world of reasons just doesn't work. It's very hard to do. Like, it's possible but it's very hard work to do. So I think in the very beginning, there's understanding that there is, and, and for me, there is, it, 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 over years of sort of thinking about this particular issue, I think of it like Latin and French, that when you're in the world of, of reasons, it's like you're speaking, speaking French and you and I are communicating. And then when that shift happens, it's like I'm speaking, I'm still speaking French, but you've moved on to Latin. So although there is words being passed back and forth, because we're coming from these two different worlds, we aren't really communicating and no progress is being made. And until we get back on the same page, and hopefully it'll be on the page of the French-speaking, reason-giving kind of world, until we get back onto the same page, there's no progress possible. I think I look at it a little bit differently, but I, I don't think we end up at the at different locations. I think we end up at the same location, which is to say that for a person who feels like they are making excuses on a consistent basis, you know, I, I think, you know, giving giving a reason for something not getting done uh, can be looked at as an excuse from the other person. And I think you're absolutely right there. You know, when when I give a reason for me not getting something done, that's very different than when I hear excuses from others for not getting things done. But when I give a reason for something not having gotten done, I do recognize that it's because of the locus of control. That is, I had control over the situation and something um, beyond me um, created perhaps something that didn't allow me to be able to get something done, but I've taken full responsibility for whatever that is. And I, I take this into perspective a lot because as the, as the owner of the company, I'm, I'm the, I, my head's always on the chopping block. Right. And I very much believe in that perspective that, you know, I'm not going to throw my other people under the bus. I'm the, I'm the front end of the business. And so when someone has a problem, I'm going to take take it on the chin, so to speak. And because mistakes happen, no matter how good everybody is, you're always going to have mistakes that happen. And so the idea behind giving an excuse to me is throwing one of my staff members under the bus, as opposed to me just saying, you know what, I'm really sorry. This is my company. It's my responsibility. How do we fix this? There's a, a connection between a reason being something where you're taking responsibility and accountability, personal accountability for the situation, and you've decided to do something about it with that person or, or 
or with that organization versus an excuse kind of giving up control and saying, okay, well, it happened to me. And so therefore, there's nothing I can do about it. And I think that I think that's where the author of the article, and I, li- I put a link to that in the show notes for anybody who, who does want to read it. And uh, that's where I think the author was coming from, although I, I don't particularly think that he articulated in a very in a very compassionate way. Uh, <laughs> um, that's that's kind of where he was he was coming from. I will note to folks that when I was very early on in my uh, studies of personal productivity, I came across a very short book called Question Behind the Question by John G. Miller, and it had a marked impact on me in many different ways. And the QBQ, the question behind the question, idea is really around personal responsibility and going the the kind of next leveling your uh, personal responsibility as it relates to almost everything in life. And he gives some really interesting little vignettes as examples for why people should take on this level of personal responsibility in their life. And so I would recommend it to anybody who is struggling with uh, the idea of giving excuses. When we begin discussing this, I make the note saying, well, is there really a difference between the reason and the excuse? And as I'm listening, I, I saw where the people come with a difference. Yes, if I give you, I'm giving you a reason, even that the other person is listening, you know, as an excuse. And I think it is important to to have the self-awareness. Are you really doing a reason, you know, as the article says, well, my I have a broken leg, okay? Okay, and are you using that, you know, as an excuse or is really legit? And I, why I said that is there is people, if we pick the example of the running, who has done it with, with the broken leg, who have done it in, in many ways. So when are you giving yourself that excuse and you are trying to reason with that excuse so that way, you know, well, you know, I, I'm... It's it's not an excuse. I'm giving myself a reason. Well, okay, that's valid if that's what you are doing, okay? Or are you really using the argument of a reason to be okay with the excuse you're putting? You know, when you said, hey, I'm going to, to stop drinking coffee, okay? And I do at 3 p.m. on the second day, go and say, well, okay, I'm going to have a coffee, but it's just going to be this time because I'm really tired and I need to focus. Well, is that a reason or is that excuse? And I will insist on my original comment when, when I make the note on, well, in most cases, the line is so thin between one and the other that most of what we are trained to do are excuses, not reasons. We can find any valid, validity on, on what seems to be a reason so we don't call it excuse so we don't feel bad about it. While in reality, what we are doing is justifying the excuse we have so we can do it and feel okay about it. So this takes us to the construct of how we make excuses in our own worlds or however you place it right I, I think I think we we come down on the on the uh, reasons and excuses are perhaps a little bit intertwined and um, for some people whereas they're very distinct things for me for me their excuses are the the areas of our life where we don't feel like we have control and and 
you guys can disagree with me there or or challenge me there but for for the for the most part that's where i'm i'm coming at with regard to the the thoughts i'm sharing and so the idea here is that when we make excuses for our own lack of productivity our own lack of of whatever it is that was the deliverable when we make uh, a a an excuse for uh, not reaching a goal, uh, they they come down to a wide variety of 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 excuses that we do make, right? It may be that oh well, I don't have the right education. I'm afraid of of X or Y, or in the past I've failed. Uh, there may be some level of lack of focus or lack of certainty. There may be uncertainty, and or you don't have. Um, uh, true north in terms of the goal again going going back to lack of focus and so what i'd like us to do is to talk about some of the things that we can do as it relates to uh, moving ourselves away from making excuses for ourselves as we're trying to get things done how do you when you hear yourself saying when you hear yourself making excuses for something that you want to get done in your own life. You have this goal, you have this project, and you want to make it come to fruition. How do you get yourself out of that space and into a place of action, into a place of forward progress again? So when I was younger, and I think this happens a lot with young younger professionals, I thought I had control over my time. So there's a really popular book uh, it was written, I think, in 1973 or something like that. Anna Lakain. It was called How to Get Control of Your Time and Your Life. And it, it spawned a whole academic set of sort of direction that ac- academics went in in the early 90s when they, they, they started to study, of this que- study the question of controlling time, getting control of time. And I think we're at the point now that if I were to introduce the idea of controlling time to a class, I'd be laughed out because we don't have control over time. I think we have gotten to the point where we realize, well, there's no such thing as your time. There's only your actions. And the idea of controlling time is just, you know, it's just not possible. You don't, we, don't, we don't get to have control over that. And I think that the evolution that someone goes through is that they think they have control over time. Eventually, they realize that they don't, that they have control over their actions. And then as they get even more mature, they realize, you know what? I don't have a lot of control over that either. There's some influence I have, but control is a really strong word, which implies that you can predict an outcome with extremely high probability. And we don't even have tomorrow. It's not, it's not promised to us. So I think there's a, a, a Jedi mind trick in here somewhere where we think we have control. And when we experience this loss of control, we give excuses. But at the end of the game, I think there's a realization that we have no control over anything. But does that throw us into the world of excuses? For some people, it does. Some people go into depression and say, well, you know, I can control anything in my life, so I'm just going to lie here in bed and not get up. But I think there's a, another alternative, another possibility, which is that even if you don't have control, you can still take responsibility, still find reasons to make things work, and still come up with, still be on the, the, the sort of the French team that I mentioned before, still be in the game of 
achieving some objective or of making a difference. And you can do that all the way until your deathbed. And there's lots of examples of people who do. So even in the face of the fact that you are realize that you can't control an outcome, that your influence might at the face value be minuscule, you may think, you know, who am I? I don't have, nobody reports to me, I don't have any money, I'm a poor public speaker, I'm, I have physical challenges, I have this, I have that, I have the other. Even with all of the objective evidence, you can still pick yourself up, realize that you don't have control, and still jump in the game of making a difference as long as you're still alive. Now, I'm not saying that that's everyday behavior, but I think that if you can give up the idea of ever having control and do it early on in life, it sort of frees you to play a game of making a difference, even though life is fickle and even though the next hour isn't promised to you. I wanted to kind of clarify for for folks listening, which is that control uh, diminishes as the time horizon extends out from you. So you don't have a lot of control over an hour from now or a day from now or a week or a month, but akin to kind of what Tony Robbins has has written about in the past, uh, or at least that's where I first heard about this idea, which is that you have control over the next five minutes. Uh, you, you know, what you do in the next 30 seconds to five minutes, you have control over that and, um, and, and not much beyond that, right? You know, after you get beyond that time horizon, then things become out of your control. And as you said, Francis, there is a, a misconception. There is a, a, an illusion that we have control over things that we do not. And, uh, and so we need to remember that as we go into the world, I do stand back always and say that our locus of control is, is in some way, shape or form an illusion, but that we have to have some level of belief that we have control over what's going on in our world. And I think that level of belief comes from us planning effectively, right? Knowing what projects we have in front of us, knowing what the, the smaller chunks of those projects are leading down to the actions so that in the moment when you can do that action in that 30 seconds, you get the opportunity to say, okay, what is it that's on my plate? What am I able to accomplish right now? And can I move this project forward? And then the next five minutes, the next 15 minutes are then far more productive for you. If you know that you have control of the future, if you if you make action in the present, then if you uh, think about the future and all of the emotional stuff that comes into play, I really believe that a lot of this is emotional. So the idea of making excuses like I don't have time, I don't have money, I don't have the right resources, I don't have the right people, all of those things are merely are, are merely forecasting your your lack of those things. And while I'm not a big, you know, uh, I don't prescribe to the idea of 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 you know if you if you wish it it'll come true or any of those kinds of of, of thoughts there. Um, I I believe that what we really need to do is manifest reality through the appropriate organization of what we want to happen. And we can do that. We can very much say, okay, these are things that I need to get done. This is how I'd like it to get done. And course correct, change course as 
the project goes forward, as you're trying to be more productive, make adjustments, be flexible and adaptable, and understand that even though you don't have ultimate control, as you said, Francis, we still have some level of control, which is in the immediate, in the here and now. And so if we plan on one side, forecast for what potentially might go wrong, plan for what potentially might go right, and then make action in the present, we then give ourselves a lot more control over the future than if we did nothing and just kind of threw up our hands. I would suggest um, a, a, a way out. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> because the, the, the word control implies it, it, it's, a, it's a strong word. And, you know, I, it, listeners may not know, but, you know, pod, recording on a podcast between three guys in three different locations is, is a precarious business. And our podcast, you know, the, the provider or the platform of our podcast could crash in the next 10 seconds. And then we'd have to re-record or start recording again next week. Or, so we don't even have five minutes of podcast available to us that we can control with a capital C. But there's a way out, though, because I think what, what and I'll point to the, the Werner quote, which is, I think is in the show notes, which will be in the show notes. Um, it's from Werner Erhard, and he, he describes what he calls cause in the matter. And it's a, it's a made-up phrase, I think, or never heard it before hearing it from him. But cause in the matter means that there is some effect out there, and you're organizing your molecules to cause it to happen, regardless of whether you have high, uh, low control, high control, high influence, low influence, whether you're strong, weak, big, tall, doesn't matter. You make this mental shift to being cause in, cause in the matter. I remember when I first heard the quote, I, I put it in front of me on my desk. I was, I was working on a project, I remember. And I would look at it every day because I, I couldn't understand it. And it took about a year to a year and a half to begin to sort of get to the bottom of it. I remember when um, global, warning, global warming came out because I was teaching courses around responsibility at the time. And it seemed that global warming was overwhelmingly huge and no one could ever control global warming. It's too big. It's, it's, and it's true. You know, it's the, 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 uh, the, first, the first reaction people had with respect to a huge objective like global warming was, uh, why even bother? You, you can't do anything about it. But to use his language, enough people became cause in the matter that we now live in a world in which many people are causing the matter of global warming and many people are working hard at it. And even though they'll probably die without most of them, because most of them are adults, most of them will probably die without seeing the numbers reversed or slowed down. They're willing to be causing the matter because in the long term, they see that it's possible that, hey, yeah, if I do my part, then eventually I could influence the outcome. So I think there's a way out, and it's a language change from the, the that's my suggestion, a language change to this concept of causing the matter, which puts you, sort of leaves you free to cause any result you want, as long as you have breath. Just choose the, choose the result and decide, okay, I'm, let, me, let me try to make that happen, let me cause it. And then with your, right up until your dying breath, you can play the game of making it happen. If you can free yourself from any any hangups around control or influence, that's my suggestion. Is that 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 again? It's kind of a meta a Jedi mind trick, but it's a it could be freeing for some folks who are listening. 
And I would agree. I think that if semantically what works for you better is to think about your influence over the matter or being able to have cause and effect and instead of control, because control in, in how you've defined it, Francis, is is very uh, is a very you know strict definition for you. If that is the case for you who's listening, uh, it's it's very important that you use semantics to your advantage. And so change that language so that it then becomes something that you feel, again, going back to the psychological construct of locus of control, um, you know, use the language that's going to fit you. So if that's influence, if that's persuasion, if that's cause, whatever it might be, uh, use that language to be able to help motivate you to be able to make forward progress on the things that you may, may be making excuses about that you don't need to be. I mean, that's the end. That's the end result. I think that uh, I think we all can agree with is that we don't need to make as many excuses when we we take on some of that personal responsibility and accountability and recognize that there's always something that can be done. And so uh, just taking a deep breath and letting the emotions that are that are challenging your your decisions to move forward because that's what you that's what it usually is right some kind of fear based uh anger based you know motivation uh to create inertia on on you um or to you the goal for yourself is to be able to just do some emotional regulation you know take a deep breath understand that that emotion doesn't control you and then start to make other decisions about how you're going to move forward so in the same way we were discussing about excuse so we go to control Okay, and I agree. We cannot say I'm going to control global warming, but I can say I'm going to be responsible for not or for reduce my contribution to global warming. And and I think that's that's an important dis- distinction to make. You know, people think, oh well, I can't control this, therefore I do nothing. Okay, and in many cases, you know, that's exactly the moment to look at this from the other perspective. No, you may not be able to control it, but can you be responsible for the part that you are in effect? So when you go to work, okay, and and let's bring it back to to productivity, you know, well, my boss is the organizer. I can't control my boss. That's true. That's an actually true state, okay? But that means can you be responsible for the things that you need to track with him? I used to work on a place where it was funny because my boss was I was reporting to the CEO and the CEO used to come and say, can we have a meeting, but don't bring your list? You know, could I control him? No, there was no way. But I could keep, you know, things responsible to the part where my things do not blow up. Okay. So yes, I had a list. And every time we sit about talking A, I bring my whole list and drive him nuts. But where the problem is when I say, well, I can't control my boss. So now I'm coming back to, I'm going to use that as an excuse not to find or to create or to envision a system that can help me manage that. And that's where sometimes we make the problem. We reason. Okay, well, I can't control the boss. That's the reason. Okay, and we let that reason be an excuse. And that was the reason I was saying early. It's a really fine line between a real reason and an actual excuse, you know. And it's like global warming, you know. Can we control global warming? No. But we cannot make that as a reason not to try to do a little bit 
that you know that is in our reach to prevent that the global warming goes bad. You know, same way boating. Well, my boat doesn't count. Well, that's true. Okay, but if ten million people believe that their boat doesn't count and they don't boat, now that's ten million boats. Ten million boats in any electoral process will make a difference. So now are you letting the fact that your reason that your boat doesn't count turn into an excuse not to do that? Or are you taking that reason and are acting responsible or as responsible as possible towards what you can foresee is the act? You know, same thing as fear. Okay. Well, you know, I I have here this you know, more times than what I want to admit. Okay. Well, writing a book, you know, I don't, I don't, I was recently, last week, you know, I was discussing with somebody and, okay. And said, well, I don't write a book because a, a book is easy to write. Well, I may find you any person who has published a book to respectfully disagree with this, with this person. Okay. So we go back to that. Okay, the reason doesn't matter if the person has a book or not inside of them. Okay, there is a fear, and that fear is bringing a reason. And now that reason has turned into, from the, this person's perspective, into a valid skew. And so, with that, I want to I want to close out this this segment with just a couple of quick kind of almost summary points about what we've been talking about, and then we can move on to the excuses we hear from others and how to really work around the excuses from others so that we can stay productive in our own worlds and systems uh, and 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 really deal with those things. So first and foremost, as, as we've talked about a, a, quite a bit, uh, personal responsibility, taking responsibility for one's own world and accepting uh, responsibility uh, almost indirectly for the work of others is actually important if you're in any kind of leadership position to the latter point. So this idea of personal responsibility and, uh, and, and tangential responsibility is actually very important. Make the, make your fear of the unknown known as, as they say, kind of in the social justice world, you know, shining light on injustice. And, and what we really need to do is to be able to bring light onto the fear of the unknown so that the so that the cockroaches scatter and that could be i don't know i don't have enough money right because all that might mean is that you just need to look at your budget and you need to look at what's going on in your finances to see whether or not you're inappropriately spending money you maybe you can realign some some dollars to a project that you didn't realize uh, or talk to your financial advisor if you have one and figure those things out. Maybe it's you feel like you don't have a skill and so you fear being able to go out there and and go do something because you lack that skill. Well, that fear of the unknown then becomes, how do I learn that skill? Because it's very likely that there's this thing called the World Wide Web. And if you access it, you can probably learn that skill from the World Wide Web. And it's very, very easy today for us to be able to turn the unknown into the known and and not to really go down the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, uh, lane here of of pretending that we or thinking that we know more than we do. I, I think genuinely, if we help to eradicate our ignorance regarding something or our lack of competence in an area, we can do that today. And, uh, and that takes just this, this 
change in paradigm um, for it. One other final point, and there are many other things we can talk about, you know, making making goals smaller and smaller into the actions, uh, you know, uh, iterating and and making sure that we're we're focusing on making our next project better every time we do fail. Uh, failure is part of the success process. So as we fail, learn from those mistakes. And then the 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 final point is that if you are going to um, if you're going to go down this path, you need to stop being comparative. So what what your neighbor does, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, just because your friend made his first X dollars in in one year doesn't mean that you need to do the same thing. Your path is unique and you need to do what you're going to do on your own timeline. And if anybody tells you that you need to do it in the same timeline as everybody else, you know, your four-year, you know, college degree needs to be gotten in four years because it's called a four-year college degree is nonsense. If it's going to take you five, if it's going to take you three, if it's going to take you four and a half, that's the, that's the time it's going to take you. And I've seen many people take much longer to get to their goals than they ever intended for them to take, but they're glad they that it took the time it took because they learned so much more along the way. They learned the things they needed to learn along the way to get there. So I think that it helps to reduce the excuses and to increase the your own self-efficacy in being able to say, no, I know what I need to, to I, I want to get done, that I desire to get done, and I will get it done by virtue of effective planning, effective control, influence, persuasion, cause, as as Francis said, and uh, and really make make action now in the present. That's the way in which you overcome excuses, because then it becomes something that's tangible, that's real, that's in the present. So let's move over to the idea of how others' excuses impact our own personal productivity and how we can overcome that in some way, shape, or form along the way. So how do we deal with people who make excuses to us and we have to work with them? I wanted to build on what uh, Augusto said before in answering this question. He said that there's a fine line between excuses and reasons. And I think that that is the way the world is constructed. As a matter of fact, I would say the world is made up of that there's no difference between the two and that people have a freedom to be responsible in one minute and not be responsible in the other. And they move between the two as if, you know, it just, it's all one big blob of stuff. And I think the, the leader, the leader's role, a good leader is always brightening the line between the two and separating the two and putting distance between them. I think that's what we're trying to do on this podcast is the very definition of this particular topic is that we are, or Ray has declared a distinction between the two and has asked us to participate in a conversation to further separate the two to further put distance between them and for a leader so what that means is well a few different skills from people that i've i've interacted with one is that they can very quickly sense you know are you speaking french or are you speaking latin they can tell whether the person that they're interacting with is in the world of reasons or in the world of excuses they can they have like a, a an a, a finely tuned sense where they can figure out body language, tone, words, 
way of being, what have you, but they can figure it out quickly. And once they can see it clearly, because they've been, they've trained themselves or they've been trained over the years to see it, then they can go to work at it and say something about it and address it. Because if you can't see it, you, you, you're, you're, you'll never be effective in being able to separate the two. But if you can see it, you can say, hang on a minute. So when you said that you came late today because of the traffic and that it's out of your control, tell me which, what's your mind frame? Is that you're being responsible or is that more of an excuse? So you can start to have a conversation with someone to put distance between the two. Because ultimately what the leader wants is a company full of people who, have, who, who see them as black and white and lots of space between them. Because people who can see, them for, see it for themselves can catch themselves when they fall into the hole of, or the, 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 the gap or the issue or into the, the, the problem of becoming a victim and saying, you know, I was late because of the traffic and because of the potholes and because of those people and because of the, the this and the that and the other. The, the, if you can empower people with that kind of thinking so that they can think of it on their own, then you'll have a company of people where you can essentially sit back and have them run the show, so to speak, because they would only involve you when you absolutely need to be involved. And when they're involving you, they're not coming to you with an excuse. They're coming to you for a reason that you become involved. So this is a personal skill, I think, for anybody who aspires to leadership. And it creates the kind of followers that are, boy, from my experience, are pretty powerful. If you can make, if you can have followers who give reasons versus excuses and sort of continue to create the gap between the two. And I think there is a, a important distinction there when people is ready, you know, to have to have that. You know, that being that being that responsible and being ready for for doing that. Uh, because the problem the problem also is, you know, you can turn to be into really obnoxious when you are trying to show people or I even ask people, well, are you responsible or not? Or you want to be responsible about this or not? And responsibility is interesting on most of our listeners is something on the day to day, but also is one of the things that tend to drive not some of our listeners, because as some of our listeners are, you know, working or have work in to grow that self-responsibility, they also deal significantly with people who haven't yet get to that point, okay? Who, who don't understand where, where that, that responsibility is and therefore where, well, they don't see where that skews is, you know, where, where that excuse is just excuse or where is a reason. Okay, or if that reason is not really a reason but excuse, and, and that also make you know make a difference in, into that process and a complicated one, by the way. As I manage people, I'm always thinking about the environment because that's where everybody experiences their work, and so my my thought is how do we how do we use the environment as a mechanism for accountability and to make sure that when people are coming into that environment, it is uh, one, two things, ex excuse-free 
uh, and which really lays into the blame game and a lot of how society and culture today really focuses on blame as opposed to responsibility and personal accountability. Again, going back to that John G. Miller book. And the the other side is the uh, the the fear-based emotions that tend to drive drama and uh, gossip and you know finger finger pointing and, and so on and so forth and I would I would imagine that 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 probably is all bundled into the same thing since excuses and and blame are all fear-based emotions as well but the idea here is how do we set up the environment for a joy a a an ecstatic passionate perspective so that people want to get things done. And when things inhibit them from being able to do so, they immediately think about how they can how they can turn that into progress. And so from my perspective, you know, it's about setting expectations and setting up the environment so that they are poised for success. And that may, for some people who who are not necessarily, I don't, I don't tend to hire those the people who have problems with these issues. So again, it's about it's about self-selection here. So <laughs> you know, the people I hire, uh, the people I hire tend to be GTDers who are excited about the world, right? So, but but if I if I did have if I did have people who joined me who had issues, then that's where rewards and loss aversion tactics are then capable of being brought into place with the appropriate feedback loops. So Remember that immediate feedback is really important to the human brain uh, because the human brain takes that immediate feedback and is excited by it. It's it's a part of why in game design, we give immediate feedback to the game player so that they are immediately aware of what they did right or wrong to achieve a result, which means that they can then iterate on that. They can do better the next time or decide that they won't do that thing anymore. Uh, again, loss aversion, right? I'll lose points. I'll lose a life. I'll, I'll, I'll lose um, some resource if I do this thing. And so therefore, I will change my, my, uh, my pathway so that I don't come into that same that same space of loss again. And so how do we how do we move people who are in that space to the other place? And I believe set up the environment for success. Don't put them into a place where they're going to be unsuccessful. For example, I'm very much a, a fan of, of the uh, first break all the rules by Marcus Buckingham, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, and, and, you know, he really talks about this idea that we need to capitalize on strengths and minimize weaknesses and that people don't change that much. And he says that several times throughout the book. And, and I think that that's really important for us to take to heart here, which is that if someone is really bad at, at email, then, then stop forcing them to communicate with you via email, pick up the phone and talk to them, text message them, walk up to them and talk to them, but don't keep beating a dead horse, so to speak. The idea here is to work with people in the way in which they're going to best work. And I certainly have people who understand that about me and work with me the way that I best work. And those are those are my best clients. Those are my best employees. Those are my best vendors. Those are my best stakeholders and, and, and colleagues. And so we need to all recognize that sometimes we just have a weak point. And instead of making excuses, for others and for ourselves about those things, we can easily just set up the system to say, listen, if your email is more than five lines, 
then you need to pick up the phone and call me because I'm just not going to be able to deal with it. It's overwhelming to my system and I cannot respond to emails that are five lines or pick up the phone if you need to write more than five lines of emails. And this happens in my own world. I have to explain to people that if you're gonna send me an email, don't send me one email with 15 points in each of them because it's very difficult for me to respond to all 15 points at once. I would rather get 15 emails and be able to respond to five of them right up front, five an hour later, once I've gotten more stuff done with related to those particular items, and then the last five tomorrow or three days from now when the rest of those things are done. And uh, and that's not the way in which everybody works. Francis, you might be different. Augusto, you might be different. But And, and that's the point is that there is this, there's beyond the golden rule, which is you know, do unto others as as you would have done unto them. Uh, but the reality is that I believe in that sort of next level rule, which I've I've written about in the past. I've called it the diamond rule. Other people have called it other things. Uh, Tony Alessandra has called it the platinum rule, and that is do unto do unto me as I would like done unto me. That is, you have to ask. Ask me how I like I would like to be work and. If you ask me how I'd like to work, then I will tell you, and then you can do what I want. Does that take a little bit more work? Yes. Does it mean we'll be more effective? Yes. And so this notion of people should conform to the culture of the company because I said so is foolhardy, and it goes against really right now, which is a very individualistic society. You know, Americans by and large are are very uh, self-oriented. And, uh, and that's something that I hope changes over time, but that's just where we are. And so therefore work with it, be more productive by helping people identify this is the best way that I work and then facilitate how the system can do that. Now, is everything going to be able to be done personal, personally tailored to every individual? No, but you can certainly do that with the key players in your, in your world. And I think that that's a way in which you can move toward a more productive environment where there are less excuses because there are less reasons for them not to be productive. Yeah, I know lots of leaders who do that, um, what you're saying, because essentially what you're doing, some of what you described is taking responsibility for where other people around you can be effective. So you're you're looking at their what they can and can't do and then adjusting your behavior accordingly to help them to be effective. You're constructing mechanisms around them that would move them sort of nudge them towards being more effective. And this is what this is what leaders do. You know, if there's if if half of my company is ineffective, then it's something if I take responsibility for that, then it's something I can do about it. And unfortunately there's lots of leaders who don't take responsibility for a whole lot of things, including their own company's performance, including the people who report directly to them, including to the bot the bottom line, you know, the recession is on, it's not my fault, I can't do anything about that. And I it, it, I'm powerless, I'm a victim of bad circumstances, it's just bad timing, and blah, 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 blah. It goes all the way up the chain. It's not, this way of being that we're describing is, it, 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 there's no guarantee that a CEO has it or that an entry-level employee doesn't have it. It's, it's, it's slippery and we don't like talking about it. And I think the default, which is what, part of what you're saying is that there is nothing in most people's environment to tell them when they're not being responsible. And the, the only reason I can I can speak with sort of conviction around this issue is I, I had a, a coach f for about a decade, 10 years, 
who every other week got on the phone with me and and, and pointed out where I wasn't being responsible. So I'm no quick learn. That's 10 years of conversations to, for me to get the conviction I have around this. And if I hadn't put that in my life, if I hadn't paid out my pocket to have it in my life, there's no way the environments that I was in would have taken me as fast and as far as I went. There's, they, they, they weren't, the world doesn't, isn't designed to coach you in where you're giving excuses versus reasons, where you're being responsible or not. People would rather keep that to themselves. They may notice it. Some will notice it, but most people will just keep it to themselves. They're not going to call you on your stuff. So one, one option, if, you, if our listeners are, are really interested in taking things up a notch and being able to see the, and, and therefore create the gap between being responsible and not responsible is personal coaching. It's, it's intrusive and it's annoying. I got fired a couple of times by my coach who I was paying, but you know, years after the fact, there was no substitute for the experience I had. So there's things that we can introduce into our life that would help us to be more responsible. And they're not everyday, ordinary things. I don't think everyday ordinary for most people produces that result. It's just my experience. As a productivity coach, it's important to to make a distinction for the for our listeners who have not had the experience to being coached before. When you said 10 years is, you know, it is in the, in this particular case, I'm willing to make an assumption that has been as an as spilling an onion on, on responsibility. You know, we you go to to little bit and little bit and little more and little more until you get to that, and that's one of the things that that coaching can do. You know, coaching in general can do. It doesn't matter where you start. It's not that every coaching lasts that long. Most of them don't, but. It gives you to allow to identify more and more and more where and how to get that. It's not necessarily about fast learning or slow learning. It has more to do with how deep do you need to go into that, plus the other things that came as you begin removing those onion layers. What I'd like us to do is just uh, in just kind of a flash round is to uh, give our listening audience our uh, final takeaways. What's what's what are the big takeaways that you have from today's episode? When you think about reason and excuses, okay, try to put yourself on the other person, because what for you may seem like a good reason, for the other person may sound as an excuse. No, I'm not saying you want an explanation to people or to other people, but be aware of that distinction. Number one. Number two, when you talk about control, think about how much is I can control, but also how much can I influence that lack of control? Where is I may not have control over the whole picture, but what out of that whole picture I may be able to have direct influence that I can help to change a little bit that or the results that that lack of control will produce. I think those two things are really, really important to to have and to keep in mind. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I think that the, the magic of this is that when you, when you shift from giving excuses to being responsible or being caused or having influence, it, 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 it starts off small by, by just a mental shift 
and nothing in the world has changed except except your mind. But my experience is that it, it's the beginning. And once you start taking responsibility in the way that we've described, you can't quite predict where it's going to go and you can't quite say or quantify how you're going to surpass all the obstacles. You can't say who's who you're going to be involving and who's not going to be involved. You can't quite game it and say, okay, here's the plan going forward. Now that I've decided to take responsibility. The fact is, first you take responsibility, then the context shifts, and then you play the game. And then it looks very different on the other side. So it's more a matter of having this internal transformation, the sort of the beginning, and then the, this different world opens up. But the shift comes first, and that's Unfortunately, it's not business as usual with respect to how most people live their live their lives. We're really talking about uh, an exceptional way of being here today. And I will close with the fact that if you're making excuses for not reaching bigger goals in life, lean into present-oriented action, not the past, not the future, and problem solve. So many times it ends up being a, a problem that needs to be solved. And if you take heart in the fact that you can solve it with enough grit, determination, creativity, and otherwise, you can make it happen. Drive progress even when it's not done in the time you wanted to complete a project or reach a goal. Things get done in their own time, but action is always the right answer. And so, gentlemen, thank you very much for this episode. This has been a lot of fun. I have a couple of announcements before we close out. First and foremost, if you have a question or a comment about this cast or something we discussed, if you're listening from anywhere other than the podcast website, we invite you to jump over to the website at productivitycast.net. There on the episode page at the bottom, there is a comment field. You can feel free to leave a comment, ask us a question, and one of us will be uh, glad to respond. Also, while you're there on productivitycast.net, you'll find the show notes, you'll find links to everything we discussed, and if there isn't something linked that we discussed, please let one of us know and we'll be happy to add it. And you can also learn how to follow and subscribe to the podcast there on the website. If you have any other question about Productivity Cast or personal productivity, you have a topic you'd like to, to suggest, go ahead and visit productivitycast.net forward slash contact and let us know. We'll be happy to hear from you. Uh, thanks to Augusto and Francis for joining me here on this Productivity Cast. If you could, please add a rating or review in iTunes, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts for uh, helping us to reach more listeners by, by rating or reviewing uh, all the podcast. You actually expose us to more personal productivity listeners. So that's really uh, a great thing. And thank you. That brings us to the close of this episode of Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. Here's to your productive life. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.